0: Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley, your host, and you are listening to the Action Addicts podcast. As you will have seen from the title of today's episode, we are going to be discussing the Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Belushi classic, Red Heat. And this film is actually celebrating its 35th anniversary here in 2023, which is actually kind of nuts. Red Heat isn't actually a film that I have any particular, like, nostalgic affinity to in the same way that I do a lot of other Arnold Schwarzenegger films. The first time I watched this film, I remember, even though I can't really remember when that was, but it's not one that I grew up watching on repeat like so many others. Part of that is just because we didn't own it, and part of that, I think, is because neither my dad nor my granddad particularly hold Red Heat in that high levels of esteem. Which I think is true for a lot of people. I think Red Heat is one of those films that, on its own two feet, it's actually a really good time. And it's something that I feel like perhaps has been undervalued simply due to its association with other films that are either directed by Walter Hill or star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or even, to be honest, some Jim Belushi films. As you'll hear me and my guests for this episode discuss in a moment... It should have been a slam dunk, but due to a couple of little niggly issues, I feel like it just isn't quite what people wanted, but I definitely feel if you were to rewatch it, you might be surprised at how much more you enjoy the majority of the film at any anyway, as I did, and I'm looking forward to you guys hearing exactly how that went. Because my guest for this week is Mike Fury. And obviously, I'm going to let him do his introduction, but honestly, if you're into action films, you probably don't need an introduction. I was so happy that Mike was gracious enough with his time to come onto the show. Again, you're going to hear him say all this anyway, but Mike has a lot of accolades in the film industry, but he's probably most well known these days as the author of The Life of Action Books, where he sat down and interviewed many, many, many stars, stunt coordinators, directors, and people that make action films what they are, and they're big, beefy boys, these two books, and I own both of them, and it was quite an interesting and surreal experience to sit down with the author and uh, just get to chat about Red Heat, of all things, which was his pick, by the way, which I will let him explain in just a moment. So... Thank you once again to Mike for coming on to the show. I'm very much looking forward to having him back, and maybe we'll chat about something that has uh, a lot more martial arts in it, because I feel like he'll have a lot more to add. But this is a great shorter conversation, so for those of you who enjoy the shorter episodes, celebrate now. And whilst you're celebrating, sit back, relax, adjust your headphones if you're wearing them, because we're about to swap over to the me of the past, so that you can listen to the two of us talking about Red Heat and I think you'll enjoy this one. So I'll see you for the outro. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here. We're live in the room. And today we have a very special guest. And I have been looking forward to this episode for a while because we seem to be having a really good string of guests at the time of recording. The Marshall Teague episode went out. And I teased somebody else. Well, this isn't that someone else. This is even someone even more special. This is Mike Fury. How are you doing, Mike?
1: I'm good. Thanks, Scott. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks. It's, uh, it's not freezing cold in here anymore, no. uh, which is nice because my wall heater has been on the, on the Brits, but it's working this evening, which makes recording much easier than it has been previously sometimes. Yeah,
1: I think I think uh, considering where we are in the year, we're we're not doing too badly in this country with the weather at the minute. So we'll we'll t- we'll take it while we've got it. Exactly. So
0: for those who are perhaps not as familiar with your work as I am, he says, with your published books around him, uh, would you care to tell people a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh yeah, sure. So I'm um I'm a journalist and an author, and I guess my you know the stuff for which I'd be best known would be uh, my life of action books, volumes one and two, which interview uh, actors, filmmakers and stunt people from all around the world um and just kind of really trying to uncover and pick apart their um their kind of their backgrounds, their lifestyles, their careers, and kind of look at the journey and the the trajectory they've gone on to get to where they are today. Um, so that's been a really fun thing to do. I've written for magazines and online as well and appeared at um festivals and had the opportunity to do like expos like Comic-Con and things like this, meeting people and talking to people um i've worked in film as well doing some stunts and things like that so you know i've had a really well-rounded um series of opportunities to to, to work in this in this field um, and i'm really passionate about film generally but specifically action martial arts cinema has always been from a young age you know any of us that love uh those movies i'm sure can relate to the first time we saw you know whether it's van damme or jackie or bruce or any of these guys so um i guess what i just did was uh you know i was uh influenced a great deal at, at a very young age and then had the opportunity to kind of take that ball and run with it and then take me to where we are now with doing the life of action books and so on so it's uh, yeah no it's a, it's a great subject that I'm very passionate about and I love the opportunity to to talk about it to talk about it in the books and talk about it with you today so I'm very grateful for you inviting me
0: Yeah man I mean it's it it was one of those things where and I I I am going to have to give a shout out to another former guest also journalist very passionate about film Matthew Essery it was always been in the back of my mind to have you on as a guest. But when I was trying to sort something else out unrelated to this, Matt was like, why don't you just ask Mike if he knows? I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that was just like, why don't I just ask Mike? Hi, Mike. And, yeah. and, and we start talking. <laughs> yeah. So that worked. Yeah. But um yeah, it's great. I think one of the things that, funnily enough, I got a, a DM. I think it was today, in fact, uh, or it was yesterday, but I think it was today from uh, someone that listens to the show, also has done the occasional podcast, and he said something that I think resonates with a lot of people, but perhaps it's something that can easily be missed if you're not living in this space of people that like action films, is everybody that seems to enjoy this sort of stuff, listens to the podcast, reads the books, watches the films, uh, lives for the entertainment news of what's coming next. They seem to all... For the most part, get along and like supporting each other. I know of so many people in other genres where it's rivalries, it's a bit cutthroat, everybody is in the same space, but they're all kind of fighting each other. And I don't see a lot of that in, in the action film. Like, I, I've, I'm i friends with so many podcasters, not podcasts themselves, but podcasters <laughs> that do action stuff. And, you know, if you reach out to people that make these films, Quite a few of them are more than happy to chat with you, and I'm including yourself in that as from the journalism point of view, because we also had uh, Alex Rallo on way way back, and you know he does journalism for on his side of the water, and it's one of those things where I don't think you get that in a lot of other fields. I think it is quite unique to action film, and I think it's partly because it is quite a niche topic. You know, it, it, however yeah. many of us there are, we like to make sure we're all still here
1: yeah and i think there's a there's a respect that comes maybe it's the martial code whether or not you personally train in martial arts you know there's that kind of code of respect or maybe it's um subliminally fed to us through the films we watch that (laughs) this kind of um this this kind of approach but you know i i hear what you're saying and i you know i mean i'm much more of a casual viewer of things like um horror or sci-fi or things like that you know i like those films but i watch it you know kind of um fewer definitely compared to something like action. But I would say definitely my experience echoes what you just said, which is that everyone's really friendly. And whether it's, you know, even on like a studio level, if you can get to those guys and sometimes it's just more insulation of managers or people around them, through to the indie world, everyone's super friendly. And quite often you find what's interesting is from an from an action background point of view, and this could be, you know, Hollywood filmmakers who came from a, a stunt type background, they're all super humble. So look at like again, you know, we talked I think before um, we were recording about um, John Wick or these kind of films. Filmmakers like J.J. J. Perry, Chad Stelsky, the eighty seven eleven guys—they come from a stunt background and they're super friendly, super chilled. And maybe you wouldn't get that if they were from a more traditional, you know, non-fighting combat background. So it's an, it's an interesting kind of um, interesting character trait, I guess, to kind of to to to, to explore.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. Even even years before I had a podcast, I found it funny that people that worked in the stunt space were more than happy to just chat with people that were interested. I, I remember, and oh, I'm trying to think when this was, probably 2013, I've had Heidi and Renee Moneymaker on my friends list. I've chatted with both of them, and that was back years before I did this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there was other stuff going on at the time I was trying to do, but I just find it so interesting that people, as like you say, especially if they're in the stunt world, it's like, yeah, man. Let's 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 just chat about this stuff, Uh, you know, on YouTube right now. You've got the uh, corridor crew people with their stunt react videos, and so many of them are so happy to just really take the scenes apart. And one of them even uh, they had on quite recently, their original uh, stuntman, whose name is escaping me, he even said, like, if people leave a comment on my Instagram, I will answer your questions. I probably shouldn't because it takes a lot of time, but I do. Uh, And Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good, man. That's, that's nice. It's nice to have that appreciation and that, I think it's that, it's that community, um, sense. And, you know, some of these guys, even, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're super geeky into film as well. So you'll get filmmakers who are crafting films and working on stuff, but then, you know, they go away in their free time and they're, you know, they're geeking out over films like us. So it's, 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 it's a good thing.
0: Speaking of films. Yes. When we were discussing about what it was that we would like to do an episode on, and we had many options, you mentioned that it is a specific film's anniversary. So,
1: uh, would you like to tell people what it is? Yes, I gladly exactly. will. So, I was just racking my brain over what we could talk about, because, yeah, as you say, we had a lot of options. And for some reason, I don't really know exactly why, I'm super into anniversaries of stuff. And this could be anniversaries of films, anniversaries of music, you know, certain records or bands you like, that kind of thing and um so i'm kind of i guess my radar is set to that like i often kind of pick pick up on that funny um and what the one that i noticed was red heat and it's actually i think it's this year is the um 35th anniversary of water hills red heat starring arnold schwarzenegger and uh, jim belushi and um i just thought that would be one that's that's an interesting one because it's probably not the most talked about film from any of those guys you know if you talk about Arnie, you're not going to Red Heat isn't in probably the top five of things you'd even no. think of if you think about Arnie. Um, and equally, Walter Hill, you know, he's one of my uh, favorite directors, actually probably my number one favorite director. Uh, and I, I talk a lot and post a lot online, almost a comical effect about, uh, the Warriors, cause that's kind of my favorite film. But equally for him, you know, he's a very accomplished director, but he probably wouldn't, Red Heat wouldn't be the number one thing. It might be, uh, the Warriors. It might be even something like The Driver or, um, Streets of Fire, or various yeah. others that people people tend to hone in on, but Red Heat gets a little bit uh, lost under the radar. So I just thought that would be a fun opportunity to maybe revisit. And you, kindly obliged.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I said this to you off screen, uh, off screen, off uh, off recording. But it's one of those things where I know I'd seen Red Heat, but it's not one that I've rewatched to death, especially of Arnold's uh, list. And most of the Walter Hill films that you just listed are amazing. I know another one a lot of my American friends love is Southern Comfort. And uh, for me, The Warriors is always going to be the top Walter Hill film. I was introduced to that film in sort of the early 2000s, and I've loved it ever since, as did all of my friends. It's it's a really odd film that somehow managed to transcend time, despite the fact it is so very clearly 80s. It is kind (laughs) of a weird thing in that regard, but... Yeah, Red Heat is one of those films that I remember liking, but I wouldn't say I love. So when you suggested it, I was like, well, I've actually been thinking about rewatching that one for a while because, A, I have a bigger liking of Walter Hill films in general. I, You know, it it wouldn't have meant anything to me if you'd said Walter Hill at the time I watched it originally. And also, film has changed so much that what we once took for granted now we start to recognize as being a lot more special than we gave it credit mm-hmm. for so i was really really uh, curious to see what my reaction would be for this but before i start talking what's your personal opinion on this particular film
1: so i i actually i i really like it it's definitely it's it's got its flaws and it's not um it's it's imperfect and i think every interestingly everyone involved if you go back to any archive interviews or comments from any of the guys involved um they do i think arnold critiques particularly but bearing in mind for anyone that doesn't know this is a um this is this buddy action genre obviously made more famous i guess the kind of the earlier part of the 80s throughout the decade and then into the 90s maybe in comparison to other famous buddy action um action and action comedy i should say it's probably not ta- again not talked about with as much um high high praise For various reasons. But what I like about this, in a similar sort of way that I like 48 Hours, although I don't probably like it as much as 48 Hours, largely due to the Nick Melty, Eddie Murphy um, duo, Um, what Walter Hill tends to do with these films is he doesn't lean too hard into the comedy. And I like that. And he's, you know, I like that his films are very, he's often described as like terse, no nonsense, minimal dialogue. They're quite kind of straight ahead films. And this one in particular, Red Heat, it's, there, it is it is quippy at times and particularly from B- the Belushi character is the kind of, um, you know, smart ass American cop. And then there's the stoic Russian cop played by Arnold. But it's it's more, I guess it's played more naturalistically and more like this guy is making fun of the other guy or making little jabs at him. But the film itself, the content around them, the story, the characters, the the drug dealers, the violence, it's all fairly straight ahead. And that in a similar way that 48 Hours was. So I guess what I mean to say by this is there are probably more fun, lively, jokey versions of the buddy action genre, whether that's bad boys in the 90s or, you know, uh, other films. But what I like about this is that it's quite straight ahead. It's actually quite dark and gritty in places, edgy with the violence, uh, you know, outbursts of violence, which Walter is famous for. So all of that taken into account, I, I, I enjoy it and I think it plays quite well today. What did you think, Scott?
0: For me, it was a case of, I couldn't remember if I actually remembered exactly what happened. And the answer to that is no, I didn't. The bits I remembered really stuck with me. But but it's interesting because my memory is, it's a Schwarzenegger film. I really like Schwarzenegger. His bit worked for me. And that still held true. I was genuinely surprised. For someone that is often accused of not really acting in films he does in this one. He doesn't just use his default accent. He tries to actually come across as if he's someone from Russia. He speaks some Russian in the film. And he, you know, he he really makes an effort to try and have different mannerisms to just, by that point, what would be the typical Arnie muscular hero. He does kind of channel the Terminator a little bit in order to get that across. But I think that's just, you can't really help that. He has this massively Popular character that everybody knows, so of course that's what you're gonna think of when he goes into basically killer mode. Belushi as a cop is like, well, that's a no-brainer. I mean, the amount of times I've watched K Nine growing up, I lost count of. So seeing Belushi as a cop was like, yeah, okay, this this is a match made in heaven. My problem is they kind of run out of steam with each other, and I I couldn't quite decide how to describe this and and it's kind of how I remember it too which is that you've just said that it's not the most uh funny buddy cop pairings and especially if you're comparing it to like the lethal weapon which had come out before this mm. and as you said bad boys and uh god knows how many other buddy cop type films but I I didn't mind that because the mm. film is darker than I remembered it and the film does have a much more serious tone throughout which I did like but I think the problem is, is it kind of feels like their chemistry doesn't have enough time to breathe and actually come and form a buddy ship. It's not a case of they're not funny. It's not a case of they don't both have good lines. But they spend so much of the film clashing. And then it's like, all of a sudden, they've decided that they care about each other. And then they don't. And then the film's over. And you are going, wait, wait, what, what, what? They just started to bond. And now it's over. Like, I've. I feel like there was either some stuff cut that kind of, of those two actually being buddies, (laughs) you know, or it was just, you know, some of the pacing was just off. But I feel like the end result is the first half or even the first two thirds of the film work really well. And then their relationship just isn't strong enough to make the ending work for me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, interesting point you make. And I definitely see that. Um, I do suspect as well that maybe things will cut. Um, but what one aspect of it that I actually quite liked, especially revisiting more recently, is it feels like, because i in my, I guess as well, we should, um, contextualize as well this political context, and the background of particularly American Russia. Yeah. At this, po- at this period where, you know, neither side would have, um, at least what well, they, they wouldn't have perceived each other particularly well. And certainly in through, a, a kind of the media lens. You know america's perception of what russia is like or what russians are like and i'm sure the envisioned view of what how would russians perceive americans or a russian coming over here um they kind of it in that sense it's i dare i say it's slightly more progressive view for an action for yeah. action movie yeah. of the late 80s um of you know this uh, obviously this uh kind of monosyllabic stoic russian guy who does kind of thaw to some extent throughout the um, the film, or at least um, thaws to his new partner. Um, but what I did like, and it kind of addresses uh, in a way some of the things that you just said, is that they don't, it, it, he doesn't completely thaw in an unrealistic way to be suddenly he's, you know, eating hot dogs and making jokes with his new yeah, <laughs> buddy partner. Yeah. They, they kind of reach like a mutual understanding working towards a common goal and, and recognize in each other certain qualities like, they're both no-nonsense cops. Like, you know, Jim Belushi might be—he's kind of the, the the generic perception of kind of a, la- a lazy cop, probably in a way, or like catcalling women a bit, or you know, eating junk food and things like that. But he's a very, you know, determined, you know, uh, straight-ahead cop that wants to, you know, catch the bad guys and, and look after his um, his fellow cops. And in a way, without the uh, without the junk food, I guess, with the, with the uh, protein shakes, and that's Arnold's character too. Um, but they recognize these qualities in each other um and they kind of reach like a mutual understanding. It feels like by the end, you know, that has been achieved. But they I wouldn't say they particularly like each other. It's no. like they they, you know, it's kind of like a handshake or a pat on the shoulder and then it's literally goodbye. But in a way, you know, that could be a, a flaw in that, as you say, we could have had a bit more um a, a bit more of a breakthrough of the friendship and humanity that might have been nice to see. But actually the way that played. That it was literally a professional case of getting the job done. And then Arnold's flying home. Sorry, uh, if there's any spoilers there for people, but what did you expect was going to happen? Obviously, they're gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two cops come together, they catch the bad guys, they win, and then he flies, he flies home to Russia. But there, there's a mutual understanding and a respect. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm making too, uh, bigger point out of this, but maybe there would be some sense of understanding of the other side at that time that, you know, Belushi's worked with this russian cop and kind of gets a bit more where he's coming from and um and the uh, the russian cop has kind of seen more of a a tapestry of people and culture and things in america during his time there than when he first showed up put a coin in the wind up tv box and watched porn which you might remember that bit and says was it capitalism
0: yeah i I literally yeah. made a note of him saying that. I, I,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, the way, yeah. the way he sort of shakes his head and he's like, capitalism is like, that yeah. was one of the other things I noticed is considering that this is an American made film, the film mm. is very pro Russia. Like, I know it's probably just because Arnold was the person playing him, but it really mm. did feel like Danko is always the best person in any room and all of his, comments about socialism about things that you wouldn't need and about how they don't have all these rules that prevent them from getting the job done it's almost like the people that made this were were kind of going
1: you know communism's the answer Hmm. (laughs) or at least the no the the no nonsense approach to policing is the answer maybe (laughs)
0: yeah yeah but it's like um there's later in the film where they they get into the car crash and he's like my insurance Hmm. isn't going to cover this and he's like well in a socialist country you don't need insurance the state would pay for everything and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's. there's a lot of pro uh communism points and it but it, then at the same time when you actually see russia it's not really that different from america which is obviously what they're desperately trying to hide it's like we have completely different points of views but we have the exact same problems and it's like well yeah because the language might change the politics might change but people don't sadly mm-hmm. they're they're yeah. they're all kind yeah. of assholes no matter what country you're in
1: Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, that's something that the film's got going for it, though, against this political backdrop. And just think, you know, think of the Hollywood perception of Russia, or Russians as well, Russian military, Russian police and so on, especially something like Rambo 3, you know, which was just a couple Mm. of years prior to that, quite different. So compared to all of those, by no means saying it's a perfect or a completely even keel balanced film. But this probably by the standard of the, the general consensus at the time could be seen as quite progressive, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's a, it's certainly an interesting point. I mean, I think, like you say, when you factor in the time period, and for the younger people listening, remember that this would have been decades before social media existed, and before 24-7 worldwide news coverage was a thing, people didn't have exposure to other countries and other cultures the way that we can do now, mm-hmm. if you choose to. And uh this probably would have been many people sort of looking at this going, Is this what Russia looks like? Is this what mm-hmm. Russians actually like think and feel? And you know, it's it, it comes down to that that first meeting where he's wearing his uniform and obviously all the cops see it and they're they're like he looks like a glorified postman and you just like, really? But it it is just that, you know, of all places to go, Chicago it's like you couldn't get further from what the sort of ideals that uh, Schwarzenegger's character has, and obviously, you know, someone else that I always forget is in this. Like I'd totally forgotten is Lawrence Fishburne, yeah, and yeah. his his character is just basically there to just screw them over <laughs> as many yeah. different ways as he can. And again, yeah. I love the fact that as the film went on, Danko was like, "Yeah, we we have people like this in Russia and in, in the Union." It's yeah it's it's not that different realistically speaking
1: <laughs> yeah but no as you say it touched on it. it's got a great cast here, lawrence fishburn's great it's funny because i think that was that would have been back when he was called larry you know i tell my time periods of it's like pre-larry and post-larry which became lawrence like it's like the like early 90s or mid-90s he became lawrence but then so when you watch the film now obviously going back the credits will say larry but then any like marketing materials or if you bought the blu-ray or something it would say lawrence but that's nice it's like a little when was he larry when was he lawrence He changed his name. <laughs> but um but yeah great car you have got him you've got uh, peter boyle i'm a big fan of if anyone's seen uh, the friends of eddie coyle that's a big one i recommend uh, one of my favorites um gina gershon you've got some good you know good good character actors in there but just now when you said about the first scene when you came in looking like a glorified postman, what i thought you were going to say was the first scene in the um russian steam rooms where you get arnold in a a thong kind of thing walking around that's that's a good opening i think and uh an interesting way to show the character you know in in the very first moments of the film
0: yes i i did like that opening opening uh sauna bathroom gym it was Mm -hmm. it was almost like someone said to arnold what would your dream like vacation (laughs) spa look like it's a giant gym with a built-in sauna with a load of bathhouses you can only wear the smallest towel and that's it and the women will mm-hmm. wear nothing this sounds yeah. like a great weekend away because I did make a note of the fact that the men are covered but all the women that just seem to be there to lay in the bath are not
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> indeed and you can top it off by punching someone in the face
0: yeah yes with the with the, uh, the rock that's on fire yeah and I, yes. I, I also, uh, the next scene where he goes into the cafe and I love that whole sequence because of the build up, the tension, the camera angles. But also when that guy stands up to try and attack Arnold, anybody else would have done a wrist lock, would have just pushed him, would have punched him. But no, this superhuman man picks him up over his head and just slams him into the chair next yeah. to him. And I just remember thinking, Jesus Christ, he's suddenly gone Hulk mode. Where did that come from? (laughs) But it certainly makes you go, you don't want to mess with this guy.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of those traits is quite funny. It doesn't always, it's like, look, being like, you know, semi-naked in the opening scene. It's not necessarily, it's not within the realms of reality, although it would be if he were, you know, infiltrating this den where the bad guys hang out. Kind of like Van Damme, I think in Maximum Risk has a similar um Mm. similar environment like that but obviously what it does do look you're showing your action hero physique you're showing that he's a mean man that that means business um he walks in he's completely outnumbered everyone's kind of eyeballing him um and what's funny about it is as as you may know um i think water hill i read that water hill wanted arnold to be less of his superhuman persona and actually vaguely more normal looking for this role and so arnold did slim down the thing is he's still massive. And you know, only um normal giant Arnold could make slightly less giant Arnold look small. It's like if you go back to earlier films of The Rock, you know, The Rock is like the size of a house now. Go back to um like uh Welcome to the t- Jungle or any films like this. Yeah, Walking Tall, he's relatively like slim, but I mean he's still massive. By a normal person standard he's massive. But it's the same thing with Arnold here. If that's a slim Arnold, then you know, <laughs> I don't know what to say.
0: No, I, I, I thought that as well. Um, one of the things that I liked is they established that he is still capable of being dangerous in hand-to-hand. He's a good shot. He's former army. He got trained in Kiev, if you don't know. They they don't mention it much. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I like is they also very subtly start to tell you that that's not why he's the captain. He's very intelligent. And throughout the film, you get li- these little moments that inform you that although he is, you know, he's this massive man, his brain is his best weapon. And he's, you know, he can, he's really good at chess. He likes puzzles. I mean, I've, I almost feel like, there, that, like I said, if there has been stuff cut, like there probably was more of that because that, it's the sort of thing I can just see. Uh, a producer looking at and going this is this is boring well i don't i don't want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger play chess i want to see him throw people and shoot people in the head you know (laughs)
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, definitely but no those are nice like nice traits and i guess it does it sets it apart a bit or at least attempts to set it apart as being slightly more thoughtful at least uh you know from the point of view of the character um and then i guess particularly in contrast to this more Slightly oafish American cop. It it shows this guy's a bit more of a thinker, and you know, I think it does get that across. At least we we've remembered those moments and those small peppered uh, character traits throughout. So it's obviously made an impression. Yeah, no, a hundred
0: percent. I mean, it's 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 pretty obvious what they wanted the character dynamics to be, and I don't know how much of Belushi's lines were scripted versus him just improving because he definitely has more lines than anybody else in the film. Um, some of them funny, some of them not, but that's you know, it's humor, it's subjective. But I do like the fact that we get a Russian introduction sequence and then we essentially get an American introduction sequence. The two scenes, whilst they are eventually going to be related to the ongoing story, you could view them as individual cases, which is definitely what they want you to do. And I like that because although it establishes early on that they're different, they are both good. It's sort of like that Tango and Cash thing where it's like they both have completely different styles but they both have ridiculously good success records and the only reason that Belushi is kind of being held back is basically because people don't like him because he's not the nicest person to deal with which, as you said earlier, he has a lot of uh, flaws I think is the nice way of saying it but when he actually, you know, takes it seriously and they do that bust with all those armed uh, suspects he's just as good just as fast and he's the one that catches the guy that gets away and has a shotgun and it it it's a really nice way of demonstrating like it's not the same as what we've just seen but this works this these guys do get yeah. the job done and yeah it's 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 not as easy as it sounds to do that there's lots of other films that have tried and one character always feels better than the other and I don't think that that was their intention whereas in this one I think partly because Walter Hill but he just knows you know how to make them different enough while still keeping them equal.:
1: Yeah, not absolutely. And you know the fact that I guess what's sown within the story is of course, they both lose partners, so we, we open the film with um Arnold trying to catch this bad guy in Russia, um, and you know very a few cops are killed, including Arnold's partner, and then he you know they subsequently track the bad guy to Chicago, which is how he ends there in the first place, and then um, of course, Belushi loses his partner. in in, in this kind of tragic shootout which again i think with um with walter hill's direction particularly his kind of his his gunplay and the way he coordinates those sorts of scenes it's often quite shocking and gritty and there's there's these sorts of bursts of violence that you could be quippy and having banter and jokes one minute and then suddenly it all kicks off and there's violence the next uh in, in in the next moment and you know he does that very successfully throughout his career and i think that does lend itself well to this where you know particularly when the two guys come together, they will have moments of um, of banter and jokes and talking and then suddenly you know they go through a doorway and it all kicks off and and all hell breaks loose. and that's quite a quite an effective way to again what I like about this is it's not it's not too funny and I but I mean that in a good way that there are quips and there are jokes and maybe some of them don't work as well. some of them don't land. but there's enough to get the um, I guess it feels a bit more like a a more naturalistic relationship between these two guys one. A bit of a clown and one who's probably not very humoured, <laughs> but it kind of works in, in in that context yeah
0: but i i also think that some of belushi's lines weren't supposed to land deliberately because yeah yeah, yeah. you know he, he's not he's not trying to be amusing from a point of view if he wants everyone to laugh he's just sort mm-hmm. of he's saying shit that most people wouldn't get away with is is the long mm-hmm. and the short of it and he You know, if you say anything back, he's a cop. So that's probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, you're right. Like They do the humor perfectly. I mean, Arnold has always been great when his dialogue is lessened. And we we talked about the capitalism, but he has another one with the police captain where he's like, how do you deal with the stress of managing all of this? And he's like, vodka. It's like the captain gives him all that dialogue and he just says one thing back. And it's the funniest bit that you remember without a shadow of a doubt. I agree with you. Like When they go to the prison and they extract that guy, everything was going swiftly. And there's that little voice in the back of my head going, well, there's still a fair amount of this film left, so I'm guessing this isn't going to work somehow. And even though I I knew something was going to happen, I really liked the way that ambush was done because Mm -hmm. instead of doing what I've seen in so many films where the camera shows the audience... The assailants, the camera does the opposite, and you see them as civilians or security guards, is what they're actually imposed, you know, pretending to be. And by the time you've registered that they're not, they're clobbering Arnold over the back of the head and uh, he's getting his face pushed in. And it, like you say, the way it just suddenly bursts out into violence really, really quickly. Then his partner or Belushi's partner gets shot, Rizik, and then he's not even there which is actually something I kept waiting for it to come up. Like, I kept waiting for that moment when they would get really angry at him that he had essentially wandered off because he was, you know, stressed. And um, that never came, which I thought was, on on the one hand, surprised me, but I didn't miss it. Like, I didn't need an entire sequence of them just yelling at him, knowing full well he's going to work with Arnold anyway. But I love the mix between heightened realism and the grittiness, because like you said, Walter's style has always been more grounded and has always tried to stay close to reality as best as you can. I mean, four people beat the crap out of Arnold and then he's up again like in the next sequence. But they do at least show you that he's been bruised. He keeps those bruises throughout the rest of the film. And uh, that really wasn't the style at the time. I mean, I can remember, you know, there, there were actors in the 80s that used to have it written into their contract how many times they were going to get be allowed to be punched. And then you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the biggest action actors at the time, just getting routinely beaten up. It happens a couple of mm-hmm. times in the film because that's reality. You you know you're mm-hmm. not going to take on five people and win, no matter how good you are. Yeah.
1: yeah. And if you remember um, the, uh, the the finale with the bus chase, so they quite apparently quite deliberately didn't want a car chase. That's a bit you know it's been done before where we, we we've seen it. They also thought particularly Water Hill thought somebody of Arnold's frame and stature it'll be funny kind of fun and funny to put him in a bus it's like this huge enormous vehicle and then they of course have a kind of like a um a standoff with the buses but you know in in that scene and that sequence you know Arnold gets battered about as well so to to your point you know he gets a massive head gash and he looks yep. quite wounded and then even when things you know inevitably spiral towards the kind of showdown with the bad guy it it's it's that Water Hill western sensibility of stoic men a few words just shooting the shit out of each other and it doesn't you know doesn't rely too much on witty one liners or you know things like that. It doesn't sugarcoat it too much. It's it's very it's but I I don't know how to describe it other than it is what it is. It's like two guys just firing off rounds at each other, you know, getting closer and closer, walking towards this, you know, beautifully shot uh nighttime train track with the smoke and everything and it looks very cool and it's uh, it's quite you know it's quite if you compare it as you say to some of the heroics portrayed in other things or knights in shining armor and you know uh, funny one-liners it's actually quite bare bones and um grim i would say
0: which which is why i think some people bounced off it and it's why i think people still bounce off it i mean i would be very curious to know what somebody that has grown up in the mcu era of filmmaking would make of this film because it's pretty much missing everything that almost every film nowadays is expected to have by default mm-hmm. um and yeah that that last sequence and i know we're jumping around here a bit but this is quite an old movie guys so i hope you've you know i i, I we always talk spoilers on the show i i i'm not going to keep telling people that but um yeah,
1: and i think it's fair to say with a with a, a fairly formulaic plot like, as, as this is, you kind of know what's going to happen. But yeah. also what we're saying, I don't I don't think it should detract from enjoyment. You could still hear everything we're saying, then watch the movie and enjoy it. So hopefully yeah, no, you know, people do that.
0: Exactly, because although the there were bits of the film that didn't work for me, what did work for me all the way through was how the film looked, how it was shot, how it was lit, and the choices that were made with the camera, and that end sequence especially. I mean, A... N- I I can't actually think of another film that has a bus chase, you know? (laughs) That in and of itself was great to see. I love the stunts. I love the bus going through and just destroying everything. I also like the setup because they used the fact that Arnold's character Danko was in the military. Like, that's his answer for basically how he knows how to do so many things. But of course, if you're paying attention, the guy that they're chasing spent three years in the military. So that meant anything that Danko can do he can do and I, I i just love that way that they sort of effortlessly elevate the threat level of the villain because in the beginning you're kind of like well he's just some random guy and then as it goes on you realize oh no he's really not but like, he's actually kind of a really really dangerous person i mean he mm-hmm. betrays the people that were working with him his body count is really high in consideration for the fact that not that many people actually get killed in this film and then at the end it doesn't come down to a clever one-liner or a plan. It comes down to, if Belushi hadn't been there, both of them would have smashed the buses into each other because neither one would have blinked, you know? They were both like, this is where we're going to die, but Belushi pulls the wheel, and then, as you said, I don't know what to call it, well, Belushi's character is like, I don't know, it's very Russian, which, you know, (laughs) it's not really accurate, but
1: it's like, what else can you say? These two just really want to shoot each other, you know? Yeah, and... Yeah, I think no, it's really it's no, it's a good 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 points you've made, and I think actually that's a good moment to we talked about some of the other actors anyway. But shout out to Edo Ross, who's a great character actor and plays the the villain in this. Um, And I think what they did really well, I mean, his performance, although again quite stoic, he doesn't say too much, but he's just got he's he's got a good face. There's an actor friend of mine uh, called George Russo, and we we talk about this. We say good face, like a good you know like a good character face when you just see that kind of like carved from granite look on screen and you're like that is a good fact like we we know immediately who that guy is usually a villain let's face it if you know not necessarily the prettiest look but it conveys what they're supposed to be Um, and with the script and everything this guy's he's a really nasty loathsome villain which is what you want from a piece like this Um, you certainly want uh, adequate screen time to get to know who this person is who the adversary is for our you know, our hero or at least our anti-hero Um. And as you say, it feels like this is a, a a scenario between these two characters where they kind of keep missing each other or, you know, Danko tries to catch him, Victor, and he doesn't quite get him. Or there's a scene in there, there's kind of a, um, isn't it, it's like a uh, meeting on No Man's Land kind yes. of um, yeah. scene in the car park. But again, because they're both, well, Danko in particular, is um, he's been disarmed and they have an opportunity to speak. But it is like as soon as Arnold gets his hands—sorry, I keep switching between Arnold and Danko, but we you know who we mean. But it's like as soon as he gets his hands on this bad guy, he's gonna like want—he wants to rip his head off, basically, um, or you know, shoot him more more appropriately. And of course, that's what it all leads to towards the, the finale when these guys are actually in a position where they're able to try to take each other's heads off. That's what's going to happen. And um, that's something that, you know, a lot of the 80s action films did do well. They had good villains and they built up good characters. Um, a lot of the Stallone films did that well. You, you know, the the Seagal films and the Van Damme films. And we've got these really colourful, loathsome villains that, you know, you have to care about because you want to see the hero take them down. And I think with this Victor guy, you know, he's portrayed as being an absolute scumbag, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, you know, he's a, he's a, um, you know, he's a baddie by the Russian standards and the Americans don't like him either because he's a drug smuggler and he's bringing drugs through the country and he's, you know, he's on everyone's wanted list. So it's a good nemesis for us to root for, particularly not root for him, but root for the two, you know, mismatched heroes that are going to take him down.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that, scene that you mentioned where they meet in neutral terms and the clean heads are essentially making sure that they don't kill each other is such a great moment because they still won't get near each other because they both know full well that if they got in close proximity that they just start trying to kill each other with their hands mm-hmm. and that's kind of when victor kind of finally reveals that actually there's way more to him than meets the eye because they balance his screen time very well if you see them too much they kind of start to become either sympathetic or they or they show you too much of the emotions underneath. But he manages to get that balance just right between you see enough to hate him, but not enough that you start to see things from his point of view. So he stays that character that has just killed both of these guys' partners. And they kind of tell you everything that you need to know about him when he does kill the Russian partner, because he doesn't do it quote-unquote honorably. But like he allegedly surrenders, puts his gun down and puts his hands up. Yeah. And then that spring-loaded pistol pops out from his sleeve and kills him before the other guy has a chance to react. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know about him. Yes, he's got similar skills to Arnold Danko. And he's got connections in America. And he's a drug runner. And he's he's all of these things. But the, the biggest sort of negative trait he's got is that he is just... there's There's no code of honor which he even makes a point of trying to pretend that he does he's like oh yeah my code is that of thieves and then you find out i think it's literally the next scene that he's killed his wife and you're like mm-hmm. well you don't really have a code then and i like the <laughs> way that they they do that it's like there was absolutely no re- need to kill her she didn't know anything all she wanted to do was leave but you mm-hmm. know he he didn't like that and he kills his own man rather than risk mm-hmm. that he might be interrogated it's like he is just there's no redeeming features about him, but like you said, the actor that played him did a fantastic job. And yeah, I I did make a a mental note of thinking that I would be hard pressed to find a role where he's probably playing a nice, friendly individual that makes people smile. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, fun, funnily enough, well, he played you know he was in Universal Soldier as well, if you remember that, but he played a colonel. So it was that kind of goody esque. But he's, I, I i don't recall seeing him as like an ultra clean cut good guy. I mean, in that, he's more like fodder for the Unisols because as soon as, you know, to go off topic slightly, as soon as Dolph goes nuts yeah. and starts killing everyone, that's when, you know, he'll be in the in and amongst the, the pile of bodies. So it's yeah, more like that, an unfortunate place I, I
0: don't remember that colonel being entirely honourable either, like, because uh, he was like on board with the whole. Reanimating dead people and keeping them
1: again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call him a good guy, but I do know what you mean. (laughs) And he's not, and he's not like the villain of the piece, but he's probably like not a very nice dude. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's funny. One, one thing I forgot about as well, which we just came back to me as we were talking is apart from all the, um, the body count at a, you know, that which is Victor's doing, he does, of course, in that car park scene, I think he he says to, to Danko, you killed my brother. Yeah. So it it gives the impression that there is a long history of bad blood between these two that, you know, he's picking off partners, but obviously Danko has done something some way, you know, it's an interesting thing when you actually, it's the quite subtle points that you kind of, you know, bury in the back of your mind as you're watching these. But what you're doing is you're inserting and incorporating small details about, you know, maybe there was some. Another raid's gone wrong years before or six months before or something. Danko's gone after Victor and something else has gone wrong and Victor's brother was killed and there's all this history. So they're really subtle points. Obviously, they probably didn't design these things for us to be actually talking about it, at length for small detail like that. But it does give some insights and some details about the characters and at least the history between these two guys and how how far back the bad blood potentially goes.
0: Well, uh, there's a scene, I can't remember if it's before or after, yeah, I can't remember, because I, I think it's when they're going into the car to chase the wife. So it must have been before, actually. But Danko tells um, Belushi's character that he killed his brother six months ago. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 okay. I remember thinking, oh, in fact, I've got a, a, the note is right in front mm-hmm. of me, which is, was that the beginning scene? Because there's quite an amount of time between him escaping to America and them finding him. So is that the guy that dies on the staircase that is with him when Arnold walks into the cafe? Is that what they were saying, or is this some other character that happened off screen? I found that a bit unclear, yeah. but I I I feel like that's what they were trying to say,
1: but it doesn't come through very well. No, I, I didn't I didn't make that a connection between the guy at the cafe, but I would have thought it's just something off screen that's happened some past beef. You know, some past raid uh, potentially so but yeah it does i think ultimately what it does it serves the job to communicate again this isn't just like a random case this is personal between both these guys
0: yeah no because like you say um, i mean you know it wasn't designed to be overthought the only reason why i wondered if it was the guy on the stairs is because when victor and danco meet they clearly know each other they hate each other they've got this personal beef but when they meet in the cafe they don't act like two people that know each other. In fact, mm-hmm. Victor tries to pretend like they're just regular Georgian people and you police mm-hmm. are harassing them. They don't even know each other's names. So that's what made me wonder. By the way, it doesn't actually matter, but it was just, yeah. you
1: brought it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but no, it's, it's fun. This is the fun details that they probably never thought in a million years people would be actually having a, a lengthy conversation on, but it's fun to, to pick it apart a little bit. Yeah, man, that's, that's
0: that's what we're here for. We We like to promote, but I also like to... You know, if someone wants to go into the nitty-gritty, I can. It's yeah. just, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> but definitely. It, it, it's kind of like, I know that some people, especially if you watch it these days, probably wouldn't be a fan of uh, The Nurse, mm-hmm. because it's a guy dressed up as a woman, mm-hmm. and there are some terms thrown around by some of the other characters after that that I suspect people would get really grumpy with, but I would yeah. remind people that this film
1: was made in 1987 and then came out in 1988 so give it give it a little bit of slack (laughs) yeah and i think unfortunately a lot of these things when you do revisit them especially if it's not been seen for a long time you forget these things but then you go back to them oh god some of this stuff doesn't sit too well by today's standards but yeah i think viewing it trying to view it at least within the context in which it was made um you know that um i guess that's kind of the only way you can do it now
0: well it's kind of like you know they they do that whole scene with the with the guy dressed up as the nurse and you know He's very convincing, to the point that Belushi, like, makes a comment on how nice she looks. And then they go into the cafe, and they kind of do have that bonding scene, because they've both just been chewed out, and they've decided that they're not going to let them stay on the case, blah, blah, blah. It's one of the only few times where Rizik is actually kind of nice to Danko, and, you know, Danko kind of tolerates it. But it's kind of ruined by the fact that Red Six being a complete asshole to the waitress. It's like Mm. you. It's like it's just not in his DNA to just be nice for like Mm. 30 seconds to anyone. It did make me chuckle because I was just like, "Wow, I could not stand you if you were a real person." (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. but actually, again, you know, some of these things, I like it when you know, films don't always have to have likable people. Sometimes sometimes it's people you root for for various reasons, um, but, you know, especially in like the anti-hero kind of category, if you want to look at it like that, you know, you get some unlikable, some loathsome, you know, not very nice people, but maybe particularly in an action kind of setting they're better than the bad guys they're going after, and for that reason we'll be rooting for this particular guy I mean obviously not to go to extremes like you know Harvey Keitel and bad lieutenant or things like that where it's like just horrible people like literally the main character is awful we're not in that <laughs> we're not in that category for this, but both of them are probably quite uh grumpy, disagreeable people, <laughs> but in this case, they are fighting for the greater good, so we kind of we we, we grant them a pass, but as you say, any um moment of niceness is offset by some shittiness as well
0: well it's like uh Danko lets the wife go because he you know he has to basically break the news to her that she's like the latest in a long street in a long uh stream of women that have been deceived by him Mm -hmm. and that you know he's just using her and the fact that she still ends up dead is really like it kind of is depressing Uh, you know there's no other way to put it it's like he warns her you kind of get attached to her, and then she dies anyway. And don't get me wrong; you know, I I like it because it's not nice, and like you say, it's not a a particularly pleasant world to be in, to be honest. Which maybe is a Walter's reflection of the real world. Like, yeah, life shit in it. Deal with it. But <laughs> and then at the same and at the same time, that's when we get introduced to Arnie with a forty-four Magnum, asking who mm-hmm. is Dirty Harry, which I found hilarious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because and again, remember what's funny is at the time they, uh, I, I believe at least, I mean, clearly this is primarily going to be Americans watching the film and laughing at that joke. But with the uh, with the restrictions of the media in Russia, a lot of the a lot of the uh, Western movies and stuff were not were not seen, or at least they were seen through um, you know bootleg VHS tapes and things like yeah. that, where the Chuck Norris films and Clint Eastwood films and things like that. So actually, maybe it's a bit of a joke to that. You think who the hell wouldn't have heard of um, Dirty Harry? But actually, these guys. Would not have been, but then when he gets the gun, he's very capable, but he insists that the Russian gun is still better.
0: Yeah. I, I also, and, and I know this is an unfair uh, thing to say, because it was that every film back then did this, but that revolver has six shots. He managed mm. to fire that thing a good 20 times before he finally thought <laughs> maybe I should reload it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's like, it's the same as when you rewatch older films. Now, one thing that definitely stands out, and it doesn't bother me in the slightest, but I do notice it because, again, it's such a different era of filmmaking. Is lots of characters like to not have their clothes on, and you know, we we leave the cafe, we have desponding, and then suddenly we have random naked lady just <laughs> lying in the bed, and I'm like, what? Where where are we now? And then eventually that it explains all of that. But it did make me sort of chuckle. and It's like, oh, okay, I get it now. But you get a good like five minutes where it's just like. Why are we... Why? Why? And then yeah. this random character, who I'm not convinced we ever get a name for, actually ends up saving Danko's life and kills one of the bad guys. I was like, this is the kind of twist I live for. Random naked yeah. lady
1: was now the badass lady. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that was yet yeah, in the kind of brothel scene, right? So you've got yeah. some uh, it, unsavory it was, it was the prostitute yeah. was gonna, that was yeah. in the room next yeah. door.
0: And uh, they, you know, the victor... Again, showing his kind of cleverness, if not his intelligence, where he essentially tries to get the clean heads and uh, Danko to kill each other because he doesn't actually want to deal with either of them himself. And uh, yeah, this this woman gets caught in the crossfire and then she slowly spends most of the scene going over to her purse. And you're not really thinking much of it until she eventually pulls out her own revolver and blows the last guy away herself. And you're like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah.
1: But a seedy motel is always going to be a good spot for a shootout. They should have known better. If they stayed there, they know what's going to happen if gangsters come in.
0: Well, she she even says yeah. that to the police later on, because he's like, oh, do you always carry a gun in your purse? And she sort of looks at him like, everyone around here carries a gun. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, that, it's that sort of yeah.
1: neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But do you think it's interesting? We talked, So, I mean, the locations you mentioned, Chicago and there, the the seedy hotel and there's a lot of the i guess typically urban american street cop environment and all those settings um for the russian stuff i thought it was interesting that i mean parts were shot in um budapest i think which doubled quite well for russia but actually quite historically they were able to uh shoot partly in red square which was Mm. super interesting i think if you you know hear about some of the stories behind that um I believe it was the first time it's been done, and you know Arnold's again probably through the, the kind of the, beat, the bootleg VHS culture did have a lot of fans there. People knew who he was, but I've heard two versions of events in this. And I don't know if you have anything to add to this, Scott. But there's the what I've heard some stories that I think this was more like the official line at the time was they did apply. It was difficult, but they applied. They got permission to film there, and they did go and shoot some portions there. Fine, that's one one uh, kind of thread and then another thing which has been talked about later is they did just go and shoot guerrilla style in uh, in red square and um and literally like direct you know water hill camera operator arnold in his uniform and just shot some footage around and kind of ducked out and um obviously quite dodgy and quite dangerous i would imagine but um there's, or, or you know, who knows? Maybe there's a combination of the two things. They did shoot some parts with permission, but then some parts they shot guerrilla style. I don't know the the truth. We'd have to ask the people in question. But I just thought it was interesting that there are these kind of two versions of the events. That they, on yeah. the one hand, I've heard that they did get did get permission, and then on the other hand, they talked about going and doing it guerrilla style. So I don't know if you've you've heard much about that. I I can't
0: say that I've heard much, but I do. I have this vague memory when I read Total Recall Schwarzenegger's biography that when he was talking about red heat he definitely said that they did apply for permission to film but it's possible that they may have started filming before they actually got it as in like mm-hmm. they had all the plane tickets booked and then realized that they still didn't have permission um my I, I, i'll be honest i i I, w- I wouldn't have remembered any of that until you said it and then it sort of rung a very faint bell Um, it's kind of like that story that Clint Eastwood, you know, drops Sergio Leone in it where, you know, that massive tree in in, uh, fistful of dollars that is like so iconic, that opening shot. And he basically just nicked that down the road without any permission. And people were constantly trying to chase him away from the set. And Mm -hmm. if if you ask anybody, they'll say, no, none of that happened. And then Clint's just like, no, that happened. (laughs) So I think it just depends who you ask, how truthful people are actually being. Yeah
1: or per- perhaps you know and this wouldn't be that much of a surprise for the official line like maybe on youtube and stuff you can find like epks and things of the day you know that kind of like classic 1988 voice they got permission and they shot them you know they filmed yeah, the movie yeah. in russia and it was great it's like it's like in case anyone's watching we did it properly and now they're like looking back you know 30 plus years later they're like no actually we didn't get permission but no one cares anymore it's that kind of vibe maybe but um, but the fact that you do get some quite cool footage and how weird it must have been for imagine if you were just if you were a local Russian person, because of course the tourism, you know, much like now, it wouldn't be, it went through, you know, it was, it would have been not happening then, then it would have been okay to travel to Russia, probably less so. Now you might be, you might want to wait a while before you visit Russia again. But if you were just a local Russian guy or with your family out on the streets, and then you suddenly see Arnold in a Russian uh, uniform, kind of, you know, do, doing a parade march on the square with a little girl with a camera, you'd be like, what the hell's going on? Um, well, but, um, that, yeah,
0: that that is kind be. of the funny thing, though, isn't it? Because I, I, I did have that thought in the back of my head that when I watched this film for the first time, it it, it didn't feel dated in, in the way that, you know, oh, everything is just so difficult to watch, but it's very dated in the fact that the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, Russia yeah. and America are not on bad terms anymore, the world isn't quite, you know, on the brink of the Cold War going hot, and now I'm watching it in 2023. And I'm sort of going, huh, this film suddenly doesn't feel quite so dated anymore. Yeah. Uh, we,
1: we, we've we gone through like a weird yo yo effect, right? I didn't want to yeah. like speak out a term before, but it felt like a bit like, you know, there's a period of time, even if you watch this five or 10 years ago, where it would have seemed quite dated. And now yep. the, the distance at least doesn't feel, I mean, clearly it's not the same as it was then for many reasons, but it's, yeah, it's probably more alike now than it was even a few years ago.
0: Sadly, I think that is accurate. It it is a shame, too, because Victor actually has one of my favourite lines in in the film, which is, you know, when he's trying to have that philosophical debate with Danko about am I really that much of a bad guy? And he turns around and says, you know, we're talking about a country that survived Stalin. A little dope isn't going to hurt anyone. And, you know, it is kind of uh, depressing to think that they have gone through all of that. And this film was so far in the past for so many people and now when you watch it especially for people that maybe don't know the history and don't realize this is all kind of like you said a a deja vu moment almost for a lot of people and then they watch this and they go oh it's just kind of gone backwards and yeah it Mm -hmm. kind of has that it's really depressing but that's the fun of watching films
1: yeah and you know, films it's an interesting one. Film films are a snapshot. I was sorry to interrupt I gonna say it's it's a snapshot of a certain period and even the yeah, the, the locations or the you know, the buildings or the uniforms or things, it's a snapshot into a certain period of time. Even from the American side, you could say yeah. you know. I always think of like, you know, you know, American or Chicago culture 1987, nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, it's a little snapshot on whether it's, you know, the film posters in the background when we walk past the cinema, you know, the, the, the marquee banner and things like that, you just get nice little even sometimes like the pepsi advert or something it's like all oh, right it's the nice little window into that if for those of us who are either not born or too young it's a fun little reference point
0: yes uh, i always feel that way especially when you're dealing with technology uh mm-hmm. there wasn't too much of it in this film but there's so many films of its kind where you know so much of the storyline would be solved if they had a mobile phone and you know <laughs> that their, their, their computers require weightlifters to move them around cuz they're ancient 1980 systems and you you know you try and show that to the younger generation now, and they'll be like, "What are those?" It's like that's a computer. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, and yeah. Um, no, so it's fine. All I was gonna say is, um, this has kind of happened before. In the in the third episode, uh, Rob Antequera and I talked about Invasion USA, and uh,
1: really?
0: it, that that was terrifyingly weird to watch because the really like. Uh, fantastical, never-going-to-happen scenario was terrorists attacked America, and uh, people were trying to, you know, move on the White House, get the president out, and they were faking uh, attacking police and blaming it on minorities. And me and Rob sort of had to say, you know, this was was like a thing that could never happen when this was made in the 80s,
1: and now I'm kind of like, this could almost be a documentary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, crazy. And you know, sometimes even for action films, that one thing that I try to, I kind of try to push back against with like life of action and these kinds of things is, you know, not all of these films, but some of them can be quite smart, or at least the people that make them are smart. You know, smart filmmakers, smart script writers and so on. And you can infuse, you know, some social commentary or some aspects of thought process into these films. So even on the surface, they appear like kind of like brainless kick back and have a beer and a pizza type action films, which you can enjoy them on that level, and there's nothing wrong with that, there is often, there's a lot more going on, you know, if you actually look a bit deeper below the surface, there are some interesting insights. And maybe as you say, when you go back to these more period action films or or snapshots into a certain time in history, that's even more compelling or even more, you know, even more riveting to look at because you see those stark differences or similarities with what's happening now.
0: Yeah. And to be honest, I I would agree with you. Like you say, it's 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 definitely not every film, but I've I've said this previously well I think I've said this a few times, but I know I, I literally said this with Marshall P the other day, where a lot of people kind of look at action films and just kind of write them off because they've made a lot of assumptions about what they're going to view and therefore don't kind of engage with it. And It's kind of like what you were saying a moment ago with, you know, oh, you know, there's that bit with his brother and oh, there's that little bit of dialogue. Like we both watched this film and there's still little things that we've pulled out of this, that whether it was intentional or not, we've done that. And I wouldn't necessarily say that this film is actually a particularly good example of what we're talking about. And we've still managed to do that with just dialogue bits. And there are other films where so much of what's happening is a reflection of what the director is trying to deal with or say or perhaps what they're going through what the writers are going through and like you say there's so many of them that feel like a time capsule of what they were dealing with at the time you mentioned another great example even though it's totally over the top but with rambo 3 you know the amount of times that film's been brought up because they're freedom fighting in a country that they then later went back to in a very different way And it's one of those things that people sometimes, especially with history, have this really annoying tendency to be like, well, that's that's history. Why do I need to know about it? And you think if you actually looked at history, you'd see how many people have made that mistake and then repeated the mistakes that have happened before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like action films do a really good job sometimes of demonstrating that, especially in this world that's obsessed with remakes and
1: reboots. Yeah, and definitely. And I think it's, it's not a bad thing to critique either way. Like, you know, you can watch these films and, um, sometimes, you know, they might make some interesting points or, you know, be a bit thought provoking in a way, but then you can also critique them. Like maybe some of the more, you know, uh, lately, you know, right wing type 80s yeah. action films, they might be a bit easier to criticize, but you can kind of, you can again try and view them in the context in which they were made. Um, it, it, you know, it's fascinating in a subject, um, for, well, for a subject, uh, in its own right, like the, the first blood, you know, original first blood versus like Rambo three and how, how far that arc's gone. And it's gone in a kind of a crazy direction. You know, even, um, obviously Rambo, uh, well, first blood part two was, like, I, I would say it's kind of stepping in that direction, but it still had, I, I would say the, the essence of the character was kind of in the mindset of the first blood you know uh way, way of approaching a, a certain anti-war sentiment uh anti you know anti-american you know, American conflict but then obviously he goes into crazy action mode and kills everyone and goes that and then rambo 3 went took it even further and then there's got there's other things that happened uh late elsewhere in the franchise but yeah when you look at these you can critique them you can uh you know you can hold them to a higher kind of standard and that's not a bad thing to do but it's yeah i mean it's endlessly fascinating if you actually look at these and again not viewing them as just kind of dumb action films there are uh there are interesting points to be to be gleaned from them good and bad i should say
0: yeah and i and i also want to stress that if you do just view them as dumb action films there's nothing wrong with that
1: yeah you can there's nothing wrong with kicking back have a beer and, and enjoy you know uh enjoy arnold's killing several people
0: <laughs> yeah a hundred percent i I think my only frustration is when people do that as an excuse to just not watch them. And yeah, it's like, yeah, if, they're, yeah. if they're not your type of film, that's fine. There's lots of films I don't watch because mm-hmm. I know I'm just not going to enjoy them. But I don't then go out of my way to sort of insult that type of film. And that seems to be something that people are more than happy to do with action films that maybe they wouldn't be comfortable doing with, say, a rom-com or mm-hmm. a horror film. You know, it's like. For some unbeknownst reason, action films just don't seem to get that level of respect that a lot of other types of films do.
1: Yeah, and I think there's probably, you know, it's probably part of it is like a a perceived arrogance or a a macho, you know, outward kind of um, approach, particularly with the, the 80s films and some of those, you know, the larger than life action stars, then the perception of the The American government, foreign policy. If you want to, if you even want to interconnect all these things, that's kind of where a lot of that comes from, I think. But versus, as you say, rom-coms and things, a bit more innocent, a bit more, ah, it's fine. You don't, you don't want to, you know, but even if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to bother yourself with the, uh, with the attitude of a, of a rom-com versus action. But, um, no, it's interesting. But I wanted to speak on the action space specifically because, um you know me being into the 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 stunt world and life of action and so on, I just wanted to to mention, which quite prominently featured in the credits, which is nice, but the stunt coordinator and second unit director uh, of this film called Benny dobbins he actually you know he died sadly uh making the film, and I think the action as you agree we we've talked about it quite a lot from the uh some of the crazy fist fights and the throwing picking up a guy like a rock and chuck him on the ground and the the bus chase and the shootouts you know in all of Water Hill's films, the action is great. And this guy, uh, Benny Dobbins, um, had worked with Water a few times on uh, like 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, uh, Extreme Prejudice, which is another great one that everyone should watch. Um, and he'd worked with Arnold a few times as well. So like Commando, The Running Man as well. And very experienced, like veteran, you know, old school stunt coordinator. But yeah, he um, sadly suffered a heart attack on the set of the film. So it was his last film, unbeknownst to him. Um, and then therefore the film's dedicated to him. But I thought it was just an interesting... uh featured He's actually, I believe, the first name. He's the first name that comes up on the end credits. Yeah, and you yeah, have this nice, interesting shot of Arnold. It's, it's, it's. I think it's quite nicely cut. Where, which, when they say goodbye at the airport, Arnold steps away from camera, and then it cuts to him walking into camera in Russia. It's just an interesting transition, and then he steps in in Red Square and salutes, and the name comes up on screen, which is obviously a, I'm sure, a, a big show of respect. But it's, um, it's an interesting. technical feature but then obviously it draws reference to the sad story of this guy tragically suffering a heart attack on the set
0: yeah see i i knew he passed away though i hadn't made the connection or i had rather made the connection but just didn't make a note of it but i didn't realize that he died from a heart attack i take it he wasn't that old then
1: i think that he was like a middle middle middle-aged guy i think maybe like 50s 60s he wasn't you know he wasn't um yeah, he wasn't—he wasn't super young, he, but he wasn't elderly either. He yeah, was, but he'd been around for a long time. I think he'd worked since like the nineteen fifties in like Western TV shows and stuff. That he was very much like a veteran, you know, a veteran stuntman, very well respected as I as I have, have heard and read stories, heard stories about him. Um, and as I say, worked with both of those guys several times. So I think a lot of the the signature action style that we would attribute to Walter Hill, with you know, thinking of those classic shootouts again of like. 48 Hours Extreme Prejudice, obviously this one, that's largely down to people like him, you know, yeah. actually designing and coordinating that that signature style of action.
0: And, and also some of the Arnold films you just mentioned, there is yeah. a, I've, I've kind of mentioned this before, and I think you might have just inadvertently answered this, but it does feel like there was a point where Arnold kind of had his style nailed down and it worked really well. And then it changes, and I feel like he never finds it again. And every film you've just mentioned was kind of a part of that, and, and that time period. And then, if and if the person that was making a lot of those fight scenes passed away, then yeah, that would kind of a explain it. But also, Arnold probably wanted to do something different because he's just that sort of person. I can't, I can't imagine he would hire someone and go, "I want you to imitate this guy's style." You know, it's just yeah, it, it, yeah I just can't see that happening.
1: And I think it a, a, a was interesting. A lot of those guys, although you know, we're 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 remembering fondly some of Arnold's like classic action stuff. But I think what's nice with people like Walter Hill, and a lot of these actors would have that, is apart from Arnold by all accounts being a nice dude, very friendly, very, you know, amiable to work with, they don't expect the director to mould to them. So it's like in later years, if you've seen the, the, I'm not sure if you've seen this one, but a, a kind of a latter day uh Walter Hill film is um bullet to the head, which uh Stallone oh, yes, Walter yeah. Hill involved in. Um But again, it's like, you know, I don't think it's like a director for hire, you know, get him in and he'll just kind of like do, you know, even for a star like Stallone or a star like Arnold, they very much, they'll obviously they'll bring their persona and dare I say baggage as an action star and what you expect of them as an audience, but they're very much fitting into the Water Hill template. Um, And the same with Bruce Willis, you know, did another one, probably in the category of um, lesser talked about Water Hill films that maybe we could cover another time, but Last Man Standing. Which is a great oh, yes. one. Kind of a yeah, yeah. modern day Western. But again, you think of Bruce, think of at that time, this was 96, that was post Die Hard with a Vengeance. So it's like he's got this whole action career behind him. But, you know, he's not trying to do the Die Hard John McClain thing and have Walter Hill, you know, help, you know, get this guy to shoot the camera and stuff. These guys fit into the Walter. It's like they want to make a Walter Hill movie. And, um, that's nice to see. And I think, you know, that works here as well. So, I'm sure a lot of this. I'm sure the you know uh, Benny Dobbins was obviously a great stunt coordinator, but I'm sure he tuned into what Walter Hill wanted, so it's obviously a good collaboration. And then you've got Arnold with his you know great action pedigree, so it was it was obviously a good team with, with with having having those guys all together.
0: Yes, and and I think the funny thing with a lot of what you just mentioned is all three of those films are very very different, but they have one thing in common. They're not remembered particularly fondly by the vast majority of people. And I find that really interesting because I watched Bullet to the Head when that came out. Um, I'm pretty sure I'd seen the original anyway by that point, but I wasn't really comparing them, which is what a lot of people seem to be doing, because I knew it was going to be totally different because it was an old Stallone and it was an American film. So it wasn't going to be the same. And uh, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was amazing, but I enjoyed it. Um, and as for Last Man Standing, that, that one's actually like a, a favorite. I, I wouldn't necessarily sit here and circle tell you loads about it because Light Red Heat, it's not one I've rewatched a ton of times, but I do remember the first time I watched that as someone like yourself, which is quite nice because normally most of my guests are American, but the prohibition sort of era and films that are set in that is kind of a foreign thing for us. Um, Seeing that sort of a setting with Bruce Willis and it's sort of like you say, our modern day Weston at that point, that wasn't really happening that much. We did Mm -hmm. kind of get some later and we had had some earlier in the nineties, but by, you know, from Bruce Willis, especially, no, you know, it was sort of like (laughs) it was like you say, he was really, really, really popular at, at that point in time. And a load of people treat that and another one, Hudson Hawk, as like his decline
1: and Mm -hmm. i enjoy
0: both of them so it's kind of like i don't know man i don't think he did decline i think he just tried to do something different
1: yeah definitely i love hudson hawk as well that's a i mean that's a weird film i think when you go back to it now it's 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 i think yeah when you watch stuff younger i have a tendency to at least i did this when i was you know as a youth you've got your videos and whatever you kind of just take things as they are maybe your mind's not developed enough yet to kind of critique it so you just enjoy it. You have fun, watch it. Yeah, that was, that was fun. That was good. And you watch it kind of like with a more adult mindset. You're like, this is really weird. This is like an odd film and I'm enjoying it and I appreciate what it's doing, but it's strange. Like the, the humor is weird. The, um, obviously there is action. It's not really an action film. It's kind of odd comedy and it ends with a a singing number, as I recall. It's, I, I, I should really watch that again, but you know, it, yeah, it was fun. It was different. And I think, um, Bruce has made some interesting choices but again it's you know it's kind of sad he's been probably better appreciated a bit now since we've heard about his his health diagnosis and his yeah. problems um, and obviously his sad you know the last few films he's made by all accounts you know i don't think it's out of turn to say you know it's this is more of a financial thing for him at, at you know at a later point in his career but you know it takes that unfortunately in his retirement people go back and better appreciate these films we're talking about um and like another one no one talks about this one do you like striking distance scott have you seen that one with bruce
0: i have seen it but i'd be lying if i said i okay. could remember it
1: It's so that's like that's another good one that's you know it's a it's an early 90s a little bit by the numbers you know cop tracking down a serial killer thriller sarah jessica parker's in it as well for any uh, uh you know sex and city fans but it's, <laughs> it's just again it's like it's a fun it's good, it's well acted, it's it's quite tense, it's got a good uh, good story, good characters and good action scenes. And um but a lot of these maybe maybe there was a bit of a glutton of films like this at that time because you know we as you know, we've seen them, we may not remember them all very well. But then you go back to them and you rewatch them and you're like, Wow, this is actually this is a solid film. So it's it's sad sometimes that it takes these, you know, these kinds of things for us to go back and reevaluate, whereas, you know, maybe it should have been better appreciated and cherished at the time.
0: No, I agree. I think both of those things that you just said applied to *Mercury Rising* and *The Last Boy Scout*. Both of those films, I remember people saying was not great, and now people talk about them like they're classics, right up there with not not *Die Hard* as such, but the the top tier Bruce Willis sort yeah. of films. And I I just looked up um, *Striking Distance*, and I, it just made me chuckle because I was like, oh yeah, I I I remember the last time I talked about this film because it can. Conf- Fused my dad to no end because Bruce Willis is playing a character called Tom Hardy. Yeah, and, and I, and I, and I expect it took a good five minutes to establish. No, no, no. Yeah, it's a Bruce Willis film. Tom mm. Hardy isn't in it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what what they really need to do, and I don't know why he hasn't done this yet, is Tom Hardy needs to do a film as Bruce Willis, and then then they're even.
0: Yeah, man, that that, that would be pretty funny. I'm putting it out there. Come on, Tom, <laughs> if
1: you're listening, make it happen.
0: Ah. Oh. I'll I'll settle for uh for his new one, Havoc, to finally actually yeah, get a absolutely. release date on Netflix. That seems yes. to that feels like that's taken forever. Yeah, well,
1: probably but... probably just me, but <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, look, I think there's you know there's a lot of work and things, you know. And I think uh you know, it's safe to say, Gareth Evans is a he's a master craftsman. He's working away. If he were a you know a wood craftsman, he'd be in his shop tinkering away, and I'm sure the end result will be worth it. So yeah, something we're all looking forward to. I think.
0: And on that bombshell, I think it is safe to say that we have exhausted the conversation around Red Heat. And as much as I'm enjoying talking about other films, we will have to say... Sorry, it's probably my fault.
1: I completely steered us off course. I apologise.
0: No, um, something that I've kind of just come to terms with is even people that are traditionally very good at staying on topic seem to go off topic really easily on this show. So I've kind of just accepted that I think that's me. (laughs) I mean I can steer people back but I just like talking about film and if there's something cool that people want to talk about I'm always like yeah go for it I don't
1: care how long the episode is Mm -hmm. that sounds good man we've we've steered it off course like uh Arnold with the the bus and the engine of red heat to bring it back but you know we've we've won the day and we've got Victor so we're all set
0: yep it's ideal It's uh time to part off into the sunset not as friends, but as mutual begrudging colleagues nice (laughs) for that yeah And uh yeah, I'll just say thank you once again to Mike for taking the time. I know that obviously you are a, a busy individual, so I appreciate you uh being able to sit down and just chat about an old film that a lot of people
1: don't care about. Well, thanks very much, Scott. I appreciate it and I appreciate what you do with the podcast and you know I have listened to I have to confess I haven't heard every episode, but I'm working my way back. Um but I've enjoyed many, many of your episodes and um and yeah, no, I appreciate what you do and it's a, it's a, you know, it's nice to to, to chat to like-minded people who are passionate about the subject so yeah it's always it's always going to be fun
0: i'm i'm going to ask you a question now that will mean nothing well it will mean something to to the regular listeners but um did you know that you were going to be blasted with power rangers stuff when when you saw this because other people i, I didn't I'm, know okay because that's, that's that's come up in other episodes and i'm oh. like as a part of me that that is like i'm sad that it's not video so that people could see it but also i'm like yeah, it's a mess back there. I'm happy that people can't see it.
1: <laughs> well, what would have really... I can see, if you don't mind me describing, I can see you've got the Red Ranger helmet. It would have been cool if you were in full Power Ranger attire. For this ah,
0: chunk. well, once upon a time I might have done that, but not, not these yeah. days. But there is another reason why I can't do that, because that helmet, if I could turn it around without a lot of stuff getting bonked, as you can see, mm-hmm. um, it's not actually a wearable helmet inside that helmet there are discs of uh 20 years worth of seasons it's an entire 20-year collection stored inside that helmet from mighty morphin in 93 through to whatever the 20th season was that i don't remember anymore because that was depressingly 10 years ago i've had that i've had the helmet for 10 years now
1: just crazy but no it's good man it's good to see yeah i i always appreciate the uh the memorabilia and the um you know the collection collections and collecting and obviously you can't see it now i'm in i'm in my office currently i've got quite a bland cupboardy background but you may have seen you know anyone who follows me on social media you might have seen my uh dvd and blu-ray backdrop which is quite epic so i always enjoy and appreciate seeing seeing people's wares so right. i've got a vhs of the last action hero there that's actually oh, wow. a light
0: cool. that's actually a light it's not it's not a workable vhs anymore it's it's an oh, led wow. light
1: so that's oh. that's the closest. How did, you, how did you do that? Did you did you put the LED like inside the the inside the, the case of the
0: tape? I didn't do that, but yes, that is what that is how how it's made. They uh they took the original tapes out and put in LED lights, and obviously with my main light on for recording, even if I turned them on, you couldn't see them. But there, it does look cool when it's lit up.
1: <laughs> oh, cool, nice, that's awesome, man.
0: And on that Bob shell, I shall hand it over to the me of the future to tell you, wonderful listeners, what is hopefully coming next relatively soon all right ladies and gentlemen there you go you've done it you've made it to the end and thank you me of the past me of the present we'll take it from here i really enjoyed that conversation and i loved re-listening to it when i was editing it which is actually something that i genuinely do enjoy doing i always think that if i like listening to it when i re-edit it then it's going to be a great one for you guys to listen to It's very rare that I kind of zone out when I'm editing, although it does happen, which sometimes has nothing to do with the episode. I'm just, you know, tired. But in general, if I'm really digging the re-listen, then I think people will dig the episode. And this is one that I think you guys have hopefully enjoyed. As always, if you actually want to tell me that you've enjoyed it or you'd like to reach out with any questions or suggestions, don't forget that we are on social media. The link to everything is in the show notes of every episode. Fingers crossed but it's definitely in this one. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's Addicts Action. If you want to find my personal, it's Psychical Gaming. And on Instagram, we are The Action Addict Pod, which is what I originally wanted to be on Twitter, but somebody already nicked it. The next episode is going to uh, continue the theme of 80s. And this one is uh, not one that I think people need to re-watch in order to know that they love. I think this one is a stone-cold classic. Ironically, its initials are also RH, which I've just now noticed, which is hilarious. So, if you uh, think you have an inkling of what it is, let me give you another clue. The reason that I wanted to re-watch this film and then do an episode on it is because one of the main characters of this film was on the podcast recently, and we kind of got talking about it. And it made me realize how long it had actually been and that my memory and recollection of it was not perhaps as good as it needed to be. So I was like, I'm going to fix that. And then I asked my good friend Patrick to come on and talk about it with me. It is, of course, the Patrick Swayze classic Roadhouse. And I was really, really excited to chat with Patrick about this one. And he was very excited to talk about it. And we had a great time, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy the episode, and you won't have to wait too long for it, because, you know, a week isn't that long. <laughs> uh We also have basically got all of the episodes now, up to episode 50, planned out, and I'm just trying to decide for my own sanity if I'm going to release uh, one extra. Not in terms of a bonus episode, but in terms of I want to get to episode 50, <laughs> like... Uh, You know, it's one of those things where once I've got an episode already recorded and ready to go, I'm like, come on, come on. A week is too damn long. Let's do a Thursday release. So, yeah, you might get uh, you might get a Thursday release of the regular episodes. So fingers crossed. I don't know, madam We'll see. We'll see what happens. But either way, the next episode is definitely going to be Roadhouse and look forward to the films that are coming next because, oh, boy, oh, boy, you've got. Another 80s classic, in my opinion, in your future. You've got a genre-defining early 2000s international film. You've got a web series, which I'm really curious to see the reaction to, because that one is so out of left field. And it's not the only one in the not-too-distant future either. But it's definitely, finally, the start of covering action stuff that isn't just movies. So, the future is bright, the future is orange, and that's going to be it for this one. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Scott Wiley. Thank you once again to my guest Mike Fury for coming on the show. You've been listening to the Action Addicts podcast, and rate and like the show if you enjoyed it. Please, 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 it really does help. But that's going to be it for this one. I will see you in the next one.
1: On the action!